Hi, this is Pastor Mike Gordon, and welcome to Bethel Brandon Sunday Message. For more information about this podcast and more resources, visit us at BethelBrandon.ca. Hey, how's everyone doing? Hopefully everyone has had a, a great week. And hey, if you are uh, missed last Sunday, I just want to say Happy New Year. What is it about uh, New Year? I think we have kind of rushed to an end of 220. And, and 220 is one of those years that we wanted to get over with. And, and so in our thoughts, what we have been, we're kind of thinking is, if I can get to the end of 2020, then things are going to be a whole lot better in 2021. And so we used up all of our gas, or the majority of our gas, getting in uh, to this new year. All of a sudden, we come into the new year and we realize, oh, I think I need another quarter of a tank. I think I need another half tank. And so here we are, January 10th, on an empty tank, realizing that there is a little bit more to come. We're kind of still stuck in this pandemic. We thought that it would be over. Somehow there was something, some mental picture in us that kind of thought, okay, it's all going to be done uh, once 2021 comes, but it hasn't. So um, in the midst of this, I believe that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to my heart about something, and there's a problem in that, in that what I'm going to try and do, I realize it is impossible uh, for me uh, to do. And so... I would rather try something to try and encourage you and fail at the tempt than to not try and be um, disobedient. So that kind of sounds weird, doesn't it? But bear with me here. Let me just open with a word of prayer. Father, in the midst of what we are going through, and some people I think are facing that, that level of lethargy or, or just facing that kind of spirit of, okay, God, I don't know if I have what it takes to get through. I pray that you will encourage us by your word because your word is truth. And Father, I believe I have something that, that you are leading me uh, to direct us in. And I'm praying, God, that you're going to give me that anointing that will allow your word to speak to people's hearts today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Ever gone through a difficult time? Uh, have you ever been at a time where you have been through frustration and you're just kind of feeling like you can't get through the next little while? I've had that in ministry a number of times. But I have come to realize that when I go through those periods, when I go through those parts in my journey, I have to go back to a point where I begin to realize again and reevaluate who God really is. To find out what I know is true about God. Because if I can do that... I believe that it encourages my heart. It kind of sets my, my compass on uh, the way that it is supposed to be. And let me just say this to you now. The way you understand and how you understand God may be the most important thing about you. And to add to that, the church, when it has gone brightest, when it has flown its highest, has been at times where they have realized absolutely who God is. Because how you view God will change the way that you act. It will change the way you react. It will change your drive. It'll change your decisions. It'll change how you handle crisis or depression. It will condition your worship. How you worship will be a reflection as to how you see God. And this will be my limited attempt to reveal to you the attributes of God. Because as we struggle... Let's discover again who God is. 
attributes of God are basically the things that we attribute to God. It talks about the characteristic of God. Have you considered in the process of, of living your life as you face the trials and temptations that you do, who God really is? Psalm chapter 147 verse 5 says this. It says, great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Psalm 47, 2 says, for the Lord most high is awesome, the great king over all the earth. There's an importance in understanding that we serve an awesome God in a not so awesome world. And even though our world is not so awesome at this point, it still is awesome. But it is nothing compared to God. And so, when you begin to talk about the character of God, as I come up to bat, I realize that I'm probably going to strike out. Because it's almost an impossible thing to, as a matter of fact, it is. How do you comprehend God when it is unattainable by the human mind to do so. If you try and figure out who God is and you try and drop a plumb line to find out where the depths is, you never hit the bottom. That's probably why whenever you read in Scripture times when people had come close to seeing the glory of God, it wasn't one of those high-five situations. It was actually one of more like terror. It was the realization of who God was in comparison to who we were. And in those times when people had tried to describe God in Scripture, it didn't say, this is what it was, this is what it was happening. He said, it's kind of like unto it. This is sort of what it was, this is sort of what it was, was like. And they tried to use these terms and couldn't really describe what they were seeing. And many times if people even came close to seeing the glory of God, their countenance changed. It's that, it's that powerful. And we often make the mistake of trying to attribute human elements to who God is. And it is true that we are created in the image of God, but we are not a replica of God. And so someone put it this way, creature thoughts and creature words cannot surmise God who is uncreated. To ask what God is like is an impossible question to ask. But what we can do is we can take a look at what God actually reveals to us about himself um, through his word. So what I'm going to say to you and how I'm going to try and, and do this to you is going to be very limited, but I think it's something which is important. kind of came to me less than a year ago. I, I just remember at a time when I was struggling and all of a sudden in the mail, I get this book. It's no return address. I don't know who had sent it to me. I asked people if they had sent this book to me. They said, no, I have, I have no idea. And it was this book that was called Survival Guide for the Soul. I don't know whether someone kind of looked and said, that guy needs help, or what the situation was. But it was from a Pentecostal pastor in Vancouver who had written this book. And so I began to read it. And one of the things that it brought me back to, one of the things that they talked to is he said, you know what? If you're wanting to survive, if you're wanting to replenish your soul, one of the things that you have to do is stay silent for at least Five minutes a day. He says, if you do it the first day, it's not really going to work. But if you do it over six months, you will see a difference. What happens is when you try and do this, the first few times that you try are kind of hard because it's hard to shut your mind off with all the things that are going on in your mind, all the goals, all the things that you have to do and stuff like that. But he says, if you can get yourself to a point where you are quiet and actually observe the majesty of God. It will change you. 
It'll change the way you see things. It'll change the way you approach your day. It'll change some of the things that you are going through. And I found that to be true. That we need a time where we are still. Bible says, be still and know that I am God. What happens is in our busyness and in, in, in our lives, we have lost the ability to be quiet and to observe the majesty of God. And what happens is we are worried, so what we begin to think about is the thing that is troubling us, or we, we are so busy that all we're thinking about is the next thing to do on our to-do list, and we're so sidetracked that, that we're looking at the thing that we are presently working on, or we're so selfish that we're not even thinking about God. We're thinking about what is actually happening only in our world, or maybe it is sin, which has kind of clouded the whole thing altogether. Or maybe we're apathetic. We've gotten ourselves to the point where we don't really give a care. Or maybe it is idolatrous is the fact that when we're not really thinking about the majesty of God because we're thinking of perhaps something that we think is even more uh, going to help us or fill us or, or minister to us. Or maybe it's, we're so hurt, we're so, we're so beaten up that we, we don't even think of the majesty of God. Or maybe it's just bad theology. The way you have always thought about God has not even been correct. So what ends up happening is the view of your God becomes too small, it becomes nonchalant, it becomes humanized, it becomes arrogant, it becomes unobserved. But let me tell you, in this time, as you go through whatever difficult situation that you're going through, that the best thing that you can do is stop and reevaluate who God is, to take a look at his character, to take a look at his, his attributes. And so, let me just spend a couple of minutes, if I could, somehow, to maybe bring a few things out. Have you ever considered the fact, first of all, that God is spiritual? Basically, it means he's spirit, which means that he is invisible, that you can't see him. And because he's invisible, he is everywhere. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Jesus says God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But not only is he spirit, the Bible says that he is eternal. And this is where it starts to get a little bit more difficult, doesn't it? Because basically it says that he has no beginning. And then everything about him remains consistent. Unlike us, God has no limits, no boundaries. He's not confined to the dimensions of space. His love is continual. His holiness is continual. His mercy is continual. All the qualities are unlimited in their scope and their expression. He is self Existence. He has had no origin. Moses said it this way. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. He, is, he lives in, God lives in the everlasting now. He has no past or future. When time words occur in scripture, they refer to our time, not his. God dwells in eternity, but time dwells in God. And God sees the end and the beginning in one view. You ever wonder why God never hurries? He's never ever even con constrained to time whatsoever. Not only will God exist undiminished everlastingly into the future, but he has existed identically throughout the infinite past. If you want to read a book on, on um, the attributes of God, probably one of the best ones was written probably 70 years ago by a fellow whose name was A.W. Tozer, and his book was called Knowledge of the Holy. 
This is what he says, to admit that there is one who lies beyond us, who exists outside of our categories, who will not be dismissed with a name, who will not appear before the bar of our reason or submit to the curious inquiries. This requires a great deal of humility, more than most of us possess. So we save face by thinking God down to our level, or at least down to where we can manage him. He's eternal. He's self-sufficient. He doesn't get lonely. He isn't at a point where he has some type of a need. As a result, all life comes from him. And although we need him, he does not need us. And, and we receive nothing. He receives nothing that he hasn't first given. It says in Acts chapter 17, verse 25, he says he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. If you read Colossians, in Colossians 1 verse 17, it says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. To admit, that, that to admit the existence of need basically means that, that uh, he does not have completeness. God doesn't need anything, nor will he ever need anything. His relationship to his creation is voluntary. It's not something that fills a need in God that says, Okay, I created human beings because this is what I've needed. No. You believing in him or you doubting him will have nothing to do as to whether he will be able to go on or not. Sometimes that may bother us, but it's true. God is without limit. He has no bounds. He is measureless. Whatever God has, it will never run out. God is complete, perfectly complete within his own being. Wow, he's self-sufficient. He's what theologians call immutable, which basically means this, he doesn't change. It says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, I do not change. In James chapter 1, verse 17, he says, in him there is no variableness or shadow of turning. And we live in a, in a world that is continuously changing. Our laws change. People say you can't argue with science. Well, science changes all the time, but the word of God says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the plans that he has and the way that he was is the same way that he is today. And his powers will not diminish. He will not get better. He will not get worse. It stays the same. His plans are the same. He never changes his plans. His promises don't change. His word doesn't change. This is incredibly comforting when you stop and consider the fact that God will never ever change the person that he is. Not only that, Scripture talks about a thing which is called, called the transcendence of God, which basically means this. You can't put God into a category. You can't measure him in any single way. He is way larger than your imagination can even go. He is exalted above and beyond us. Transcendence refers to the fact that God is unlike any other being in our experience. And so no analogy, no comparison can come close to perfectly describing him. His ways are so other than our ways that we cannot predict him, categorize him, comprehend him with any sort of accuracy. The only way we can figure out God is by what he will actually let us know through his word, God's nature and his power is wholly independent 
of the material universe beyond all known physical laws. And if you read Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, it says, your thoughts aren't my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. As, as far as the earth, as far as the heavens, is, is, is what your thoughts are beyond even mine. I, I, it, it just goes even behind. We can't even think about it. And this is the thing which is called the transcendence of God. But at the same time, there's this thing which is called imminence. Imminence basically says, although God is all that, he still chooses to live and be with his creation. We just celebrated Christmas, and one of the primary passages is when the angel comes to Joseph and says, you're going to call his name Emmanuel, imminence, Emmanuel, which basically means this, God is with us. And so when David talks in the 23rd Psalms, he says, yea, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, because why? Because you are with me. He's talking about the imminence. That there's this incredible thing about him, but yet at the same time we can personally know him. Bible also says that he's holy. Well, holiness basically talks about the, the impeccable character of God, that he is perfect in every single way, that his moral excellence and his absolute standard of integrity and ethical purity, that God's nature and being is that he is eternally incorruptible. Now, when we talk about holiness, it always talks about the fact that he is he is set apart. And, and whenever you read in the scriptures where, where people kind of met up with God, that, that they said, I can't be in here. Well, what happens is they come in the presence of an incorruptible God and they realize the, the, the fact that they are, they are unclean. That's why the angel says in Isaiah chapter 6, holy, holy, holy. And we know when they, they say things three times, it talks about the absolute of the holiness of God. And the one thing that we know about holiness is the fact that when Jesus actually did come to earth, all of a sudden we have the opportunity where we are able to approach God. His holiness. It's not it. He says that God is truth. God is absolutely truthful. Uh, it is impossible for him to be otherwise. In fact, God is the source, the author, the determiner of all truth. He's the arbitrator of truth. He's the final judge. God is truth. And this is the thing we need to understand about truth. When we begin to talk about truth, we begin to ask ourselves about what is real and what is accurate. And so if you want to know what reality is, and you need to know what truth is. And when you want to know what truth is, you need to know who God is. And this is an important thing in our day and age, isn't it? We have a whole lot of information, but we don't have a whole lot of truth. And we see people on the streets debating. We have newscasts which are saying one thing, and we begin to ask ourselves, what really is truth? When Pontius Pilate says, what is truth? He basically is talking about the fact is, what is real? And when we consider truth, we need to realize that truth is divine. It comes from God alone. And, and when God says that he was the way, the truth, and the life, he uses the article, the, in the fact that truth is absolute. God is not a truth, but God is the truth. And it is the source of everything. And this is huge when we stop and consider all the things about it. There are three times in Scripture where, where basically the Word of God says, God cannot lie. For God cannot lie. Not only is he truthful, it says that he is righteousness. 
What does it mean by righteousness? It's talking about the holiness and it's talking about the goodness of God. But when he's talking about the holiness and the goodness of God, it's referring to the works. To be righteous, you need to be doing something. And Psalm 71 says his righteousness is absolute. In Psalm 97, it says that he rules out of righteousness. In Psalm 145, it says that his righteousness is in everything that he does. He delights in demonstrating righteousness, it says in Jeremiah. He judges in righteousness. He is righteousness. He is love. You know, I think that we kind of have an idea as to what love is. If I say, what is love? You might go on a whole half hour speech on what you think love is. But yet at the same time, it's very hard to comprehend exactly uh, what love is. But love is what God embodies. God is the genesis of love. He is the source. It is by him that we experience love. And if you read the end of uh, Romans chapter 8, it says nothing can separate us from the love of God. If you read 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, 8, it says that he is love. If you read John 3, 16, it says that that was the motivation for him coming and dying for our sins. If you read the book of Hosea, it basically says even when we mess up, he still loves us. If you read Psalm 100, verse 5, it says that his love is perpetual, continual. God is Love. Not only is he love, it says that God is good. If you read in, in um, Psalm chapter 34, verse 8, and even in First Peter, it says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not only does God want you to believe that he is good, he wants you to experience that he is good. And God's desire is for good to happen to his creation. He has uh, a sympathy to those who are going through difficult times. He is, he is inclined to bestow blessedness. He is quick to have sympathy. He takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. Because it's not good because it's attractive to him, but because it is part of his nature. Everything that you know about, going, about being good is seen in the character of God. What about the fact then not only all those things, it says that he is merciful and that he is gracious. And I, I add those two things because they're alike, but they're, but they're different. Merciful, merciful basically says that that's which, that which I deserve is withheld. Grace basically says that what you don't deserve, you get. But both of them are mentioned in the right way. And when God is merciful, I realize that I am a sinner and that when I come to him, he is willing to forgive my sin. Grace is basically the fact that I don't deserve anything that I have. God's riches at Christ's expense. This whole thing called grace, and they, they work together. It says in Psalm 23 that he will never relent in showing mercy, that, that he listens to our pleas for mercy. It says in, in, in uh, Psalm 145, verse 8, that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. Wow. This is the character of God, that he's just. The fact that he is absolute truth and the fact that he is all-knowing, the fact that he is everywhere, realizes that he cannot be corrupted. He cannot be bribed. He has all the facts at his disposal. He knows every circumstance. He knows every single motive. And basically, his judgment will be perfect. And not only that, he has the power and sovereignty to carry out the punishment. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 3, sorry, 32, verse 4. He is completely just, not now, but he has been completely just throughout 
all of eternity and continuing on in, in eternity. And the problem that we have with justice is sometimes we feel that it is impossible to be just and to be merciful at the same time. Here's the thing about God. When he is just, he is 100% just. And when he is merciful, he is 100% merciful. He, can't, he won't limit one for the sake of the other. He will be both at the same time. God's not just going to be two parts merciful and three parts loving and four parts graceful. No, he is all of those all at the same time. And that's why when we take a look at the whole story of the gospel, it is the fact that we were sinners. We are deserving of judgment. But God, in his mercy, sends his son to pay for the price for our sin so that we can have grace. It's all tied in with the gospel, everything part of the character of God. Man, we haven't even gotten into the omnis. You know the omnis? The fact that he is omnipresent, that he was everywhere at all times throughout all of history. He fills every inch of space throughout the universe with all of his wonderful personal attributes. His creation exists within him. Acts 17 verse 28 basically says this, in him we live and move and have our being. He is absolutely everywhere and when you worship him, he is there. And when you are sinning, he is there. And when you are hurting, he is there all the time. Not only is he omnipresent, he is omniscient. That he has all knowledge throughout all of history. Someone was alarmed when I told him, you know what, God cannot learn. Well, what do you mean God cannot learn? Well, if someone knows everything, they can't learn. If God just wakes up one day and says... I just learned something. It means that there is part of his information or being that did not know something. No, God's never ever surprised. God is never ever alarmed as to what is taking place. He knows everything. He knows instantly and with a fullness of perfection everything that is going on at any time in the past that, or any time that may, uh, that may exist. And unlike God, God is never surprised or bewildered. He knows everything about you. He knows your desires. He knows your motives. He knows your thoughts. God knows more about you than you know about yourself. That's why David in 139 talks and says, God, you've examined my heart. You know everywhere. You know everything. You know the thoughts that go on. And he ends that passage of scripture by saying this. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to even understand. There is nothing that is outside the scope of his concept, his conception, his understanding, or his attention. And because God is all-knowing, we can trust that he knows everything we're going through today and everything that you will go through tomorrow. He's omniscient. He is all-knowledgeable. And what about this thing which we call omnipotence? He is all-powerful. Paul, when he talks about the omnipotence in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or can even imagine. Stop and consider this. That God merely spoke the universe into being. A universe that astronomers estimate contains more than 100 billion galaxies. But all over the power contained in him in the universe is a small representation of the power of God. Someone said this, the combined energy of all the earth's storms, winds, ocean waves, and other forces of nature do not even equal even a fraction of God's almighty power. And he will always be all-powerful. To begin to comprehend 
All of these things is incredible. And because he's all-powerful, he has the ability and the strength to do whatever pleases him. Nothing is easy or hard. If something is easy or hard, it suggests suggests that there is a potential that it won't happen. But God is all-powerful. God just basically does it. David talks about this in Psalm um, chapter 8. He says, you put the moon, you put the stars in the place. These thoughts are just way too much for me. Nothing is too difficult for him. And I'm not even going to talk about the Trinity. I'm not even going to talk about the patience of God. I'm not even going to talk about the, the wrath of God. But basically, the other thing is this, that God is sovereign. What does it mean to be sovereign? I know we've heard that word, but it basically means this. God is, always was, always will be the supreme king. R.C. Sproul basically says this. There is not one maverick molecule that God is not king over. Psalm 115 verse 3 basically says this. But God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. He rules all things without explanation or apology. Nothing occurs without his divine permission. He establishes the science laws and he regulates the universe. Nothing can overthrow everything that he does. It says in Proverbs, the heart of the king is in the Lord's hands. Even Satan cannot do anything without God's permission. There is nothing that can resist him. There is nothing that says, well, there was a battle, but God won out. No, that's not the case. He is sovereign. He's all-powerful. Ever stop to consider all the attributes of God? It's such a small time I tried to do this. I would think this, that One of Satan's greatest tricks to his people today is to try and get you to think of God as smaller than he really is. Because how you view God is the most important thing about you. And how the church sees God will determine how well he moves in our midst through whatever we do. And so as I take a time every day and I could just sit there and say, hey, let's just spend five minutes to, to, to figure out his majesty, to be still and know nothing will happen. But if you do it over a long period of time and you say, okay, God, I'm going to sit and I'm going to begin to look again afresh and anew as to who God is. Eventually you'll begin to realize all these attributes, all these things are true. And then all of a sudden I begin to be humbled. And I begin to be comforted at the same time. And all of a sudden I begin to get challenged as to what I can do through him. That I'm aware that I'm in the presence of an absolutely awesome God in the midst of a world that may not seem so often awesome, but it really doesn't matter because he is good, he is powerful, he is just He is true beyond everything that I can even think or imagine. And I'm willing to do whatever he calls me to do. Um, Paul says it this way. 
in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, you know what? We look through a glass darkly. We're kind of living this world. We can kind of imagine. We won't really know. But he's given us enough to know that there's something. That the worst scenario is still okay if you know him. The question that is so important to ask is do you know him? Do you know him intimately? Would you like to know him intimately? It comes from realizing that we're a sinner and that we, we need to give him absolute lordship of our lives. G. Campbell Morgan is a, a pastor that was a, a, a famous pastor a number of years ago. He's gone to be with the Lord. God talking about God and the attributes of God and after the service, a senior lady came and talked to him and said, Pastor, I'd like to talk to you. Can I, can I talk to you for a few minutes? And so they went off to the side and she, she begins to talk about certain things in her lives. And she says, I'm saying all this to ask you this, Pastor. Should I just be bringing the big things to God or should I also be bringing the small things to God? And Morgan answers this way. He says, you know what? With God, they're all small things. And that's the same with what you are going through today. That is the same if you are struggling. It's the same if you are, you are at the, the end of your line listening to this particular message. Or maybe you've been a Christian for any length of time and you're just going through the depths of despair and discouragement. But in the midst of that, the question you have to ask yourselves is this. Have I gotten back to the reality of this wondrous, majestic God with whom nothing is impossible? God, I just pray that um, in unpredictable times you will reveal your glory. God, you are eternal. You always were. You will never change. You are God. You are just. You are loving. You are righteous. You are merciful. You are graceful. You know absolutely everything about me. You are everywhere at all times. There is no place that I can't go where you are. You are so powerful that I can't even begin to realize that power. And so with that, God, I lay my life down before you now. And I pray, God, that you will carry all these burdens that I have and that you will show yourself to be Lord in a powerful way as I commit my life afresh and anew to you, the living God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.